You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Barbara Sloan with Tip Finance, and this is Earn and Invest. My first job was in a restaurant, an ice cream shop and fast food joint to be exact. I started as a sophomore in high school and continued till reaching college. There were so many things I learned, how to make ice cream, how to grill a hamburger expertly, how to clean a dining room, and unfortunately, the restrooms. And importantly, I learned how to deal with people, happy and sad, thrilled and angry. I was not only their server, but also sometimes the entertainment on the side. But you know what I wasn't? Tipped. My income nor my livelihood depended on gratuities. This was a high school job, a way station on my road to higher education, and eventually the medical profession. But for many, tips are a way of life, a means of income. And as my guest today wants to make sure all her readers know, also a path, a path to financial independence. Barbara Sloan is the author of Tips, the life-changing guide to financial freedom for waitresses, bartenders, strippers, and all other service industry professionals. And she is also the founder of Tipped Finance. She once lived in her car, danced for dollars, and definitely did not graduate from college. She is also a personal finance expert and money coach who spent two decades working in the service industry all over the country. Barbara Sloan, welcome to Earn and Invest. Let me go back to that bio. Do you ever regret not graduating college? Oh, I I spent a long time regretting not graduating from college and a long time feeling like an imposter at everything I did because I wasn't, you know, I didn't have a certificate. I didn't have a degree. I didn't have any credentials. Now I think that my experience, it, 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 it matches that, if not more. So no, I don't. I, I think that college is a wonderful experience for a lot of people. I spent a long time trying to go to college. Every time I would move, I would try to re-enroll myself and take a couple classes. Every time I moved, I lost credits and had to start back over again. Um, I think it was a wonderful experience and I think it's for some people, um, but I don't think it's for everyone. And I don't think that you get out of it as much as you can get when you're interacting in the world. Speaking of interacting with the world, let's talk about being a tipped worker. I think there are many people out there who think that this is more a circumstantial job as opposed to a choice of career. Speak to that idea. Is this something that people do by choice or is it something they end up in by circumstance? 
Yeah, I think that's a good question. And I think it's probably a different answer for everyone. For me, I chose the industry. I chose it because I wanted something easy. I needed something with quick access to cash. Um, I wanted the camaraderie of the people that I was working with. It felt like it was going to be a fun job and a good time. And that was what I needed at that time in my life. And so I definitely chose it. I think a lot of people choose it. And I think that a lot of people choose it when maybe they're not sure if they're looking for something else, right? They may not have this big purpose or calling in life. They may not be driven or have this huge passion that they need to to follow. And so this is a great industry for people who are either called to it because they're natural entertainers, because they are, you know, they love to connect and greet people. They like to be of service. They feel happy in those environments. And it's also a great industry for people who maybe haven't figured out what they want. And so I think it gets a bad reputation and there's some stigma for people in the industry as being aimless or, you know, not having ambition, but that's not the case at all. I know a lot of people in the industry who have a lot of, and and a lot of interests and a lot of ambition. The name of your platform is tipped finance. How do we define the tipped community? You use the term SIP or SIP. What does that mean? And and how do we define the jobs that fall under this category? So I'm sure other people will answer it in different ways, but the service industry is a huge mammoth of an industry. And a lot of people think, oh, well, I provide a service. I'm in this industry. When people talk about the service industry, what they're referring to are people who work in restaurants, in bars, in clubs, in beauty and body services, people who work on tips. Sometimes it's a transportation company who works on tips. You're an Uber driver, you're a hairstylist, you're a masseuse, you're a sex worker. Those are the people in the service industry. When most people think about employment, they typically think about two trajectories, right? You have the nine to five world, where your employer is providing your benefits, your employer is providing you with your salary, your employer is providing you with your direction and your career path. And then there is entrepreneurship, which when you're creating your product or your business or your price point, you're taking into consideration all of the business expenses, including your own salary and your own systems, whether it's you know benefits or what have you. The service industry is outside of both of those in that you are working for an employer and you do have guidelines, but you're also in a way working for yourself because you're having to create that system of your own benefits and your own, your own way in the world. And so I think that's one misconception that people don't quite understand is that it's not like either of those industries. It's kind of its own thing. I feel like there's a more connection to entrepreneurship than we often admit, right? Because how you do in the tipped industry really often is about what you create, right? What experience you create for your guests. And so I definitely see a tie to entrepreneurship there that maybe we don't always recognize. Yeah, I definitely think there's a lot there. One, I think you learn the skills of entrepreneurship when you're in the service industry, You are the beginning, middle, and end of someone's guest experience. You're the beginning, middle, and end of somebody's transaction. You are solving the problems. You are providing reassurance. You are are the entire front and back of that experience. And so in a way, you are an entrepreneur. 
And we use the term tipped, but you also use the term SIP or acronym. Is that just service industry person or personnel? Service industry professional. Um, So I always like to use this example, especially for people in personal finance. It's sort of like how a brokerage account, a brokerage account is any account at a brokerage firm. That includes every type of account they offer. But as an industry, when we talk about a brokerage account, we're specifically talking about an after-tax account, right? So I like the service industry is very similar. Yes, anyone who provides a service is technically a service industry professional. But when we are talking about it, we are talking about those people who rely on tips as a portion of their income. And tell us how you ended up in tipped employment. What type of jobs did you end up pursuing and how did you get there in the first place? I love the service industry because of the freedom that it offered, the flexibility, and the fact that I could take this job and go anywhere in the country. I was a young person who was really traveling and learning a lot about myself. And I love that I could pick up and move to a different state and get a job very quickly. So for me, when I was in these jobs, it was a lot of gig work. And so it was either cater waitering. It was picking up bartending jobs. It was doing gigs in the fetish community where I would be doing anything from a dom experience to a, you know, a corporate event where I'd be whipping people for photos for a fun corporate (laughs) event or, you know, like the service industry and the sex work industry have a lot of overlap. I was a pole dancer. I was a go-go dancer. Um, So I didn't do full service sex work, but I was definitely in that community. And so I feel like I have done a lot of what (laughs) the tips industry has to offer. And so those are some of the the roles that you can be in and be expecting tips. I was never a hairstylist or a taxi driver. Please don't offer to let me drive your taxi. Um, (laughs) I will not be very good at that. But I was a beer girl. I was a coyote in New York. I worked in Las Vegas. I was a showgirl. I mean, I, I've, I've done a lot of jobs in this industry. Which did you enjoy most and why? That's such a fun question. Um, I loved pole dancing. That was definitely my passion. I loved creating the costumes. I ran a dance troupe. I also taught at a pole dancing studio. There was a lot of creative expression in that work. And it was a lot of fun connecting with people, whether it was doing stage sets, box sets, pole sets, doing crowd work. Um, I loved the costume. I loved the entertainment side of it. I also loved, I was a flair bartender for a while. So, and not at all at the level of people who are now flair bartenders. Like that's a whole other thing. I'm like so impressed anytime I see it, but I had about a dozen bottle tricks that I could do. And I thought that was so fun uh, throwing around bottles full of liquids and glass and all of that. So uh, I was also slightly on the edge of like the circus side of things as well. And so I just, I loved that manipulation of, of both poles and products and I loved it. What's really clear is that service industry professionals really are a varied group. I mean, everything from the more illicit to the more common everyday Uber driver, et cetera. Talk to me about how many Americans today are living off tips. Yeah. So the New York Times just published an article yesterday or the day before, and I had originally done my own research on the Department of Labor and found that it was over 4 million. The article yesterday lists 5.5 million people. It is the largest private 
sector employer in the United States. It is a behemoth of an industry. It's huge, right? So 5.5 million people in this industry. And so it's it's so funny when I hear people say, oh, well, if they don't like their tips or they don't like the fact that they have to live off of these tips, they should find they should find another job. And it's like, that is not a reasonable response. This industry is the fabric of our economy, both in tangible and intangible ways. And we're not just going to remove this industry. So we need to, we need to find ways to support these workers and to, to grow the industry as you know, in, in better ways that support those workers. So speaking of supporting those workers, We've been talking about the tipped part, but your brand is tipped finance. So let's move over to the finance side. Talk about tipped workers in general. Are they good with their money? I think there is a lack of financial literacy in that industry. So people are really good at talking about how much they make on a shift. They're really good at focusing on the income side of the equation. They know how to be amazing salespeople. They know how to count and take very good care of their money. But where it hasn't shifted, in my opinion, is to the investment side, into more of the traditional pillars of personal finance, like having an emergency savings account, setting up your own retirement accounts, and even um, to having health and life insurance, those types of things. I want to talk about the both personal and systemic barriers uh, to being good with finance. Let's talk about some of the personal first. Talk about the role of being in the entertainment industry and how that works against people trying to save money. When you are in the entertainment industry, you are constantly seeing people in clubs and bars, having a good time, going to shows, spending lots of money, often dressed very well. Um, There's a lot of displays of fashion and lifestyle. And so you become the ultimate consumer yourself as well. So you are often spending on the things that you are selling, whether that is lifestyle, having fun times at the clubs, going out for drinks after work, you know, having dinner. So I would say that a big part of being in the entertainment industry is that you also like to be entertained. And there's also a lot of camaraderie, right? I mean, I'm thinking of when I worked in a restaurant, what did we do when we were done with a busy shift at midnight? Even when I was in high school, we'd go out and spend money, right? We'd go out and eat or we'd go out and drink alcohol. Um, It seems like there's a lot of peer pressure probably related to. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of camaraderie. And when you get a group of people who have been just selling this thing and the first thought that's in your head is, I just made all of these beautiful handcrafted cocktails, or I just did this performance for these people. I would like to sit back and be performed for, or I would like to have somebody bring me a hot meal, right? So it's often the, the, the group mentality of like, let's go kick our feet up and enjoy some of what we just did. I want to also turn it around the other way. You know, in the personal finance world, we are savers because there's some belief that money or wealth is somewhat scarce, right? And that's why we're like, okay, we better hold on to it. Do you ever find in the service industry the exact opposite, that it seems like it's easy to come upon quick cash so people don't save because they always think, well, I'll always be able to work another shift or get a few more tips and be just fine? Yeah, I think that is a big part of the mentality of the industry is that you know, another day will always be there. And I can spend this cash because, you know, what if that table hadn't come in? What if that group of people hadn't come in? Then I would have only been left with this on this shift. And so you talk yourself into spending more. You you 
kind of play the reverse game where you're like, oh, if I, this money very easily could have not walked into my life. So I should just spend it on something fun because who knows, who knows if the next day's promise. So I think a lot of people are in, you know, don't spend a lot of time long-term thinking. A lot of the industry is short-term thinking. And I think another reason that service industry people are so primed and ready for financial independence is that they often do have that abundance mindset. One of the mantras I used to have was money comes easily and frequently. I would say that to myself all the time. Money comes easily and frequently because it did. Money was always coming my way. So I think that in some ways, this industry does have this abundance mindset and that accessing that will be a lot easier for, for that industry. So we've talked about some of the emotional barriers. And as you just said, that abundance mindset is actually a real positive thing that comes from the tipped industry. Let's talk about some of the systemic challenges. Let's compare a tipped worker to your average nine to five office worker. What are some of the benefits that those people have that your average service industry professional doesn't have? Paid time off is the first thing that comes to mind. Um, Paid time off is is the average American who works a nine to five gets seven holidays, a week of vacation, five paid days off, right? That amounts to roughly 20 working days or a month, an entire month off. People in the service industry don't get paid time off. when they, Even if their state says that they require paid time off, what happens for people in the tipped industry is that one, well, federally, their minimum wage is $2.13. So they're not getting their tips as a paid time off part of their payment. They're getting $2.13 times eight hours. That is nothing. And then if you are also working in a place or an establishment where your tips are being claimed for you, then that paid time off is eaten completely in taxes. So cash flow wise, tipped workers never see a paid day off, which means those people are way more likely to experience burnout. They're way more likely not to go and get medical treatment, dental treatment, Um, I mean, you name it, take care of your family, have a mental health day. So paid time off is a huge, huge barrier for people in the service industry. It's also, you know, when you're working for an employer, they tell you that you deserve this. Take your days. You have someone in HR who's telling you, take, take your time off, take this holiday off. It's expected in the industry. When you are sick and you have to call and potentially you have a manager who's saying, if you don't show for your shift today, you're going to lose your job. If you don't, find coverage for your shift, don't bother coming back, right? So paid time off off is a huge benefit for people in the nine to five industry. The second one is HR, which I just mentioned, and I think is a huge, huge, huge benefit. And the number one reason that most of Americans reach that millionaire status. When, if you reach millionaire status, it's because you had HR Sharon in the background asking you to check that box and have automatic spending take or automatic money taken out of your check and put into your investment account without you having the tension every week to have to make that decision. Because if most people had to make that decision, they would not. If they had access to all of their income, they would not be sending it every single week into their investment income. So that automation and that other person saying, you need to do this and you need to forget that it exists, right? So people don't have that in the service industry. They don't have anyone on behind them saying, take your days off, right? And 
you know, here, let me automate all of these benefits for you. And the benefits that they offer that are also differing 401k, they don't have access to a 401k. They don't have access to health insurance. They don't have access to an FSA, HSA, (laughs) um, pre-tax benefits, right? That's another thing people take for granted when you work for a nine to five. When you're getting health insurance, people who are paying for it out of pocket are paying likely 15% more for their health insurance than you are because you're getting it as a pre-tax benefit. So not only are they saving that 15% more, but on the other side of the coin, service industry professionals are paying 15% more because it's directly out of pocket. It's post-tax. A lot of other employers provide things like, you know, reimbursement for transportation or, you know, I mean, there's a thousand benefits that people have gotten, employers have gotten creative and offering to keep their employees. And that's just not the reality for people in the industry. And you mentioned HR Sharon and the automatic, the putting money into the 401k. The other thing that we forget about is 401k match. Like a Mm. lot of office workers get free money Mm -hmm. every year matched to their 401k. And there's, there is nothing like that in the tipped industry, unless you happen to have an employer who decided to put those things in place and they do not have to do that. Is that correct? Yeah. And you asked me on on our last conversation, how many people you were like, surely there's, you know, restaurants and clubs that are offering, you know, these benefits. And I guess that there was about 5% that were offering benefits and I wasn't far off. Right. So over 90% of restaurants, bars, and clubs do not offer any employment benefits. So when you are working, you are relying on that tip, not only for your tip out, let's say you have to tip somebody out, but those tips are what are paying for your livelihood. They're paying for your your rent, your groceries, your health insurance, they're paying hopefully for your retirement. I want to touch on another subject, which people don't like to talk about. The other issue with tipped workers is they don't have someone reporting to the IRS for them on their tips. There are a lot of people who would just assume not report their tips. You make the argument in your book that that's probably a bad idea. Why? It's short-term thinking. When you are not reporting your tips, it has a number of impacts. The first is that you're not aware of how much you're making. So if you're not tracking your tips and realizing how much income you're actually making, you don't realize the potential that you have with that income. So if you are somebody who's researched the financial independence space and you've written it off because you're like, oh, I don't make any money right? Maybe if you tracked your tips and you added it all up, you'd realize you actually make really good money. And maybe that money is just not going where you want it to go. So I think that tracking your tips um, is is a very important part. Claiming your tips is a very important part because it helps you realize that that money is very real. On the other side of it, there's benefits that come along with claiming your income, social security, unemployment. So that in 2020, the average Social Security payout was $18,000 annually. And that was for people who claimed all of their income. If you are a tipped worker and you're claiming partial or maybe not a lot of your income, then you won't be on the receiving end of that benefit. And, you know, Social Security was designed to be a partial income replacement benefit, not a full income replacement benefit. So if 
majority of service industry professionals today that are retired, they rely solely on social security, which is terrifying. So if you can't imagine living off of less than $18,000 a year, then you need to be claiming all of your income. I think a lot of people also felt it during COVID. They were receiving that booster portion of the, the COVID payment, but unemployment would otherwise have not been there for service industry professionals during COVID. 2008 recession, you know, I thought we were recession proof. I made so much money during that recession. And I was like, gosh, this industry is amazing for downturns in the market where, you know, it's, it's awesome, right? I'm diversified because of the industry that I'm in. But then COVID came around and it proves that we're not, we're not recession proof. We're not, we're vulnerable still. And so income reporting, it is the law. Yes, it's required, but also I don't know anyone else who, if they weren't required by, you know, their employer to report all of their income, that they would be tracking it meticulously and reporting it fully either. COVID was one of those strange situations where we saw the vulnerability of this community of people, the people who are making a living on tips. On the other hand, it was the thing that most of us stuck in our houses missed most. What did we do the minute quarantining was up? We went back to the bars and we went back to the public places and we started using the Ubers again and we started taking advantage of all these services that maybe we took for granted. Yeah, I'm super happy that mental health is getting such a boost in conversation and I think therapy is wonderful. But the service industry is the OG therapy, right? Like going to the bar, going to a restaurant, going to a, you know, going to a hairdresser, yes. chatting with your, your taxi driver, right? Like those are the conversations where you're just like, ah, let me tell you everything that's happening for me. Let me, let me talk it all out. When I was a dancer, <laughs> listening was my number one job. Most people think that sex work is about sex. Most of it's about avoiding sex and it's really about listening. It's about talking. It's about community. It's about people feeling heard, understood, appreciated. It's about that connection, right? The same thing is happening in those taxi cars, in the, in the salons, in the bars, in the clubs, all about connection. We are talking to Barbara Sloan. She is the author of Tipped, the life-changing guide to financial freedom for waitresses, bartenders, strippers, and all other service industry professionals. We are going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. All right, so most of us know the bad news already. If you were using Mint as a budgeting app, it has shut down. But the good news is... There's something better, and it's called Monarch Money. I started using Monarch Money myself about five months ago, and I knew immediately that I liked it more than any other budgeting app I had ever used. For one, it focuses on collaboration. This is easy to share with your spouse, your partner, your financial advisor, and it's aspirational. Not only can you look at your current budget, but what do you want to buy? What do you want your goals to be? You can focus on those in Monarch Money. It's the next generation of personal finance apps. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. 
Furthermore, you can create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner, and now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. Again, that's monarchmoney.com slash E-A-R-N. What I like about this app is it's intuitive, easy to use, quick to sign on. It's collaborative, as we talked about. It's customizable. The idea is you can use this app the way you want to use it. And the reason why is the Monarch Money team is customer focused. They are focusing on you, me, and all the other people who want to use this app to live a better financial life. After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. Doc G, can you believe it's been 10 years since Rebel Business School started? And to celebrate our birthday of helping people, we have designed and are giving away a completely free course designed to help people create an extraordinary 2023. And we just wanted to make this offer to anyone listening to the Earn and Invest podcast. If you want to come along and work with us on creating an extraordinary 2023, we would love to have you and support you. And it's our gift to you for our birthday of doing this for 10 years. So join me, Alan Donegan, my wife, Katie, and my business partner, Simon Payne, as we work to build an extraordinary 2023. All you need to do is visit alandonegan.com forward slash extraordinary, put in your name and email address and join us there. Let me reintroduce you. We are talking to Barbara Sloan. She is the founder of Tipped Finance. She once lived in her car at Dance for Dollars and definitely did not graduate from college. She's also a personal finance expert and money coach who spent two decades working in the service industry all over the country. So Barbara, let's talk about some of the solutions. First and foremost, is the financial life of tipped people all that different from the rest of us? I mean, is the advice you give them strikingly different from what you would tell an office worker? Yes. Yes. As a service industry professional, you have to be an extremely educated consumer of these benefits and systems that you need to set up for yourself. And I think it's a major barrier in why people in the industry have not set them up for themselves is because you need to be so educated. When you're going to purchase health insurance as a entrepreneur or as a service industry professional, you have a huge marketplace to navigate. You have to understand the in and outs of your plans. If you're a nine to five worker, likely your workplace is offering two, three, maybe plans, and you're choosing them based on a deductible max out of pocket, something that one of those two things is your decision-making. You're like, okay, this one makes the most sense because of this. When you are having to purchase it yourself, you are going through dozens of plans, trying to make sense of how they're different. What is coinsurance? What is a deductible? What is max out of pocket? Will it cover me? Who are, who are the providers I can go to? There's a lot more decision-making to do when you're purchasing it for yourself. It's the same thing for retirement benefits. You know, when you have that HR person who's telling you, we have a 401k and these are the investments that you can choose from. 
I recommend this one. And you check that box. When you are a entrepreneur or a service industry professional, first you have to figure out, okay, what plans am I even eligible for? Right. And which brokerage house should I go with? And what they don't even know the questions to ask. They don't know how to set these things up. They don't know how to link their accounts to it. You know, especially if they're getting a W-2, they may not even realize that they're eligible to set up an IRA separately from their workplace, right? So the solutions, I think, are educating the people in this industry about what they have access to and that they need to be more educated. So the advice is a lot, it's it's a lot more in depth than what you would give somebody who has a traditional nine to five. Helping people set up a paid time off benefit for themselves is a big mental shift because it's really just bucketing things in your mind and bucketing things with your money. In paid time off, your employer figures out how much your entire salary and your benefit package are together and they cash flow that out. They figure, okay, we can support these numbers of days off for this employee and cash flow wise, we can meet the demand. When you're creating paid time off for yourself, you're saying, okay, how many days off during the year do I think I can manage? And then you're saving up for that. You're putting it in a separate account and you're keeping track of it yourself. So even just to give yourself permission to do those things, it it takes more consideration. Speaking of education, you talked about how tipped workers just aren't educated in these things. Traditionally, let's talk about before you wrote this book, Tipped, were there resources? Were there places tipped workers could go to find this information out? No. If you went to your employer, they would likely say, no, we don't offer any workplace benefits. And your friends would say, oh yeah, everything's provided through my employer. Maybe you should get a nine to five, right? Those those were the conversations being had. If you want this, then you have to go work for a nine to five. No, I, I never heard anyone saying you can set these systems up for yourself. So let's say someone is listening right now. They are a tipped worker. They are just struggling to make ends meet. Where is the first place to start? Like, what do you do first? The easiest and most simple way to start, I would say, is tailoring your social media. Start following some people who are talking about financial literacy. If you're going to spend an hour scrolling, whether you're on your commute or you know, winding down after a shift, include some of that into your entertainment. Um, The second place I would recommend people go to is my book. I think it's a fun way to talk about personal finance. I think it's a relatable way to talk about personal finance. You know, when I was, I think I'm probably at 10,000 hours of listening and consuming financial, personal finance media and content. And Reading all of that, I never saw anyone in the service industry, not in a book, not in a podcast, not in in any media. And so, you know, my goal, not only with this book is to educate another group of individuals to put out their own content. So if, if, if you are somebody who's read my book, then maybe you should start putting out financial content. We need more modeling in this industry, and there needs to be a lot more voices to reach this 5.5 million people. I may not be the only voice that resonates. 
And in the book, Tipped, we're not going into all the details, but you talk about things like starting an emergency fund, and you talk about ways of investing and how you can invest, and you talk about putting money away for your future self as opposed to your present self. All of that is great content. We probably won't talk about that specifically here on this episode, but it is definitely in the book. I want to look at the broader, more general issue. We're talking a lot about personal responsibility. On the other hand, it also sounds like the rules, the laws that govern our states and country don't support tipped workers either. How much of this do you think is personally working on your finances versus advocating for legislation change? Like, do we have to change the system? We have to change the system. And there are a lot of great organizations working towards that. One Fair Wage is one of the organizations that is working towards removing that sub-minimum wage, that $2.13 federally to a standard minimum wage across across the board. And obviously states do a different thing. Each state has a different minimum wage. And also each state has a different sub-minimum wage that may or may not be different than the federal minimum wage. So yes, there needs to be things that change from a corporate and federal and local level. I don't have those types of connections. And I I like to connect with the workforce. I believe that when you educate the workforce, that you can change the industry from within. And so that is my goal is to reach as many of those 5.5 million people as I can connect with and educate them on personal responsibility as far as that can go, right? Like I can't change their minimum wage. I can't change their benefits, but I can teach them to try to set up systems for themselves. But largely, yes, what needs to happen is is, is bigger change. Do you think there are political parties or candidates or people who have been more thoughtful about people making their living with tips? Have you ever heard this even mentioned in debates or when we're actually talking about what candidates we eventually elect? I've heard a little of it since I'm following now um, One Fair Wage, but no, and I think it's a very complicated and delicate balance how tipping came about was on the backs of slavery. So Hmm. when tipping was brought over from Europe, Americans thought it was very, you know, aristocratic. And so it it wasn't popularized until post-slavery when employers realized that they could use tipping as a loophole to continue to make profits on the backs of their black, brown, and uneducated minority workers. They were like, oh, we'll hire them, but they'll work for tips. And so originally railroads were tipped positions and restaurants were tipped positions and railroad workers, they went on strike and eventually they got benefits and they got a proper standard minimum wage. That has not happened for the service industry, and we've not seen much disruption in employment trends. And I think one of the reasons that that is the case, the restaurant, the club, the bar business, it's it's a hard industry, right? And one of the things I think we all love about the industry is that 70% of it is small business. 70% is small business owners. We love not having to just solely rely on going to chain restaurants and chain bars and and chain, you know, clubs like we love that this is this is my little hole in the wall or this is my local diner. This is this is a place where I connect with. It's so different, it's unique and that's part of the tapestry that is our our communities and our states and our countries. And those businesses 
often don't have enough revenue to support things like an HR, to support things like providing benefits for their employees. Some of it's because it's such a transient position that they can't put it in place when there's a lot of turnover, but it's a little chicken in the egg because maybe they would have more people stay if they offered these benefits. But it's it's going to be a tough it's going to be a tough thing to implement. When you talked about the railroad industry that started off as a tipped position and eventually they advocated and got rights and ended up being salaried workers, you know it makes me think. You know, there are a lot of people who think that tipping is old world, that we should stop doing it, that restaurants and bars and all these places that are having their employees paid by tips should actually charge more and then pay their employees more. On one level, like the railroad workers, it almost sounds like people would have more benefits and rights that way. On the other hand, I almost feel like there's a little bit of sadness, like part of the craft of tipped workers, part of the enjoyment is making a better service experience so they get better tips. If they were to abolish tips today, how would you feel if they decided to pay people more, have them employed in a different way, increase that minimum wage? Do you think it would be a good thing or a bad thing? I think it would be a terrible thing. And I'll just ask people, when's the last amazing time they had with their ticket checker on a train? (laughs) Like, when's the last time you had so much fun on a train with a train employee? I haven't. Um, So I think it would be a huge disservice to service in general, to restaurant owners, to employees, to these professionals who a lot of them who get into this industry is because of that. They know the risk versus reward. They know that when they are going into their establishment, that they are going to give you an incredible service. You're going to have a great time and you're going to tip above 20%. Right. So it's it would be so sad to lose that aspect. And I think what as patrons need to do, they need to shift their framework for tipping a little bit. Right. You need to remember that this industry, it's not like the nine to five and it's not like the entrepreneurship. It is its own industry and it needs to be treated as its own industry. It's really unique and it's really special and it needs to be protected. So when you are tipping, it should always feel good. You are getting to participate in somebody's livelihood, and that should feel good as a human, as a patron, that you're getting to participate in this. And that because of that, you're getting this connection with these people and maybe service and entertainment and maybe food and beverage, maybe a dance. You've kind of answered this question already, but I want to push it anyway, because I want to be more explicit here. Most of the people listening to this podcast are not tipped workers, right? So the big question is, why should the general public be interested in these issues? Why should they care? As I mentioned, 5.5 million people work in this industry. It's a huge part of our economy in general. If we're not supporting the people who are working in this industry, we're not supporting those businesses and we're not supporting our communities. Our communities rely on restaurants, bars, and clubs. It's, 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 one of those pieces of a community that gives life to everything else. So if you're not supporting industry workers, you're not supporting your community. You're not supporting your local economy. People need to care about it because it has a big impact. So Barbara, tell me about your personal exit from the service industry. I've always had two kind of career paths. I've worked in construction and I've worked in the service industry 
I exited the service industry when I became a partner in my construction company and I had to allocate all of my time to running and managing this business. Um, but I also picked right up at that same time. And that's when sort of the idea for this book spurred. And I started dedicating all my additional free time into doing research and writing this book and trying to trying to put this out into the world. Um, I loved the service industry. I can easily see myself going back into it. Well, Barbara, I want to thank you for coming on today. I think the pandemic and the quarantine really drove this home we have service industry professionals, which were incredibly vulnerable to what happened during this time. On the other hand, we had your average person going crazy and missing out on all the things that were important to them. And those things were going to the hairdresser and going to the restaurant and going to the bar and being able to order an Uber and doing all of these things that were important to them we're heavily service industry focused. This is how we find our joy and entertainment. And when it was taken away, we certainly noticed it. On the other hand, it also begs the question why we're not more aware of the 5.5 million service people who are just trying to make a living every day. And certainly the hope is that they can not only exist and subsist, but can flourish in an environment that supports them. This is obviously something that's important to us as a community. I wanted to end this episode the way I went, end every episode by asking you what is up next in your life and how can people buy your book? So first and foremost, what is going on with you? Yeah, so I'm promoting the book. I'm doing podcasts. I'm doing what I call dirty money talks. So I'm going to restaurants, bars, and clubs, and I'm giving between a five and 10 minute talk to staff members who work there to talk about how they can, you know, improve their money lives. And I'm also hoping to take tips on the road to do some actual physical book tour stuff. And what is the best way to reach out to you and buy your book? Yeah. If you're interested in booking me for a money talk, if you're interested in doing one-on-one coaching, um, if you want to tell me about a win, if you want to tell me that you read the book, please reach out to me on my website, www.tippedfinance.com. You can also purchase the book there as well, or you can just find it on Amazon. The book has been doing really, really well on Amazon. So please pick up a copy. And if you do, please leave a review. That's like a tip for authors. <laughs> if you if you like it, please, please review it. That's how authors get tips. And I'm also on Instagram. You can find me at Tipped Finance. I like to make memes and I try to make personal finance really funny and fun and approachable. And then I just started on TikTok as well. This has been the Earn and Invest podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, I wanted to thank Barbara Sloan. That's a wrap. Awesome. So I leave it running just for a few minutes. Um, that was fun. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, I uh, I, I really did want to drive the idea home of why this is important. Um, and I think that you did a really good job at the end of talking about that. Because I think, I think everyone kind of says, well, it's not my problem, right? I think, I think that's a, think a normal and natural reaction. On the other hand, again, we are the first to be feeling crazy when we couldn't use all these services that we love so much. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think people underestimate what an impact it has when they're able to kind of go out and have service after a long, tough week or to rely on somebody else to kind of take on a burden that they need to offload. So I think people just need to think about it differently. It's not that you're taking the employer's it's not that you are, you know, doing something that the employer should be doing. It's just a different industry that requires this two this two-way payment, right? Where you pay the employer and then you pay the professional directly. And we just have to make sure to keep reminding people that it's very separate from traditional employment. It's very separate from entrepreneurship. It's it's its own its own thing that what supports the economy. What did you think the effect of the pandemic was on the morale of service workers in general? I think we lost a lot of great entertainers, a lot of people who their calling probably was the service industry. They got a lot of value out of seeing people happy and enjoying and connecting with those people. I think we lost a lot of people to people saying, well, you should have had a real job. Yeah. Right. You should have had yeah. this. Right. And these are real jobs. And we need to make sure people realize that they respect it and they understand how actually important they are to them. Yeah. In fact, and a lot of service industry people make six figures. This is not necessarily uncommon. One thing we didn't talk about, which I think is interesting, is the physical toll of being a service industry professional. Um, I think a lot of people don't realize how physically stressful this lifestyle can be. Yeah, there's definite impact on your body, but that's with all physical jobs, right? Whether you are a linesman, whether you are a professional athlete, whether, you know, there's a lot of physical labor jobs out there that are hard on your body. And so, yeah, you need to prepare for that. You need to cross-train your body. And almost another reason we should be advocating for financial independence and maybe early retirement within these careers, because like you said, income is not the problem. Yeah. And hopefully some systemic change, because I think there does need to be some protections in place. I think we've done a horrendous job of pr- protecting our service industry professionals. And um, I think the pandemic really showed that. And I think uh, it is a profession, as you're saying. And until we see it as a community, as a profession, we're not going to give it those rights and protections. Yeah. The service industry is the people business. And we yeah. have been underpaying our people. We've been not taking care of our people. And I think as a community, we are all our brothers and sisters keepers, right? And that's, it's, uh, it's one of those industries we have to take care of. You care about your money. Of course you do. So why aren't you listening to SoFi Daily? This podcast will keep you updated on the latest news in the stock market and how it could impact your financial life. Stay on top of what's happening. Listen to SoFi Daily, wherever you get your podcasts. That's SoFi Daily, wherever you get your podcasts. Tech moves fast. So keep pace with the Daily Crunch podcast from TechCrunch. With new episodes every day, this podcast will give you a quick overview on everything you need and should know about startups, new tech, regulations, and more. Listen to TechCrunch Daily Crunch now, wherever you get your podcasts. That's TechCrunch Daily Crunch, wherever you get your podcasts.